drink and drink until we are full of more of you, Father, and less of us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 I want to talk to you this morning about the belly of man. The belly of man. It's a weird word. We don't really use the word belly in my house too much. Uh, But uh, I have a little story this morning is that there was a, a dad, his name was Jim, and one night, as Jim was with his family uh, finishing their family dinner, he noticed on his daughter's plate that her green beans were still there. Uh, and she had a, a few green beans still left. So, you know, saying to his six-year-old, he says, you know, finish, finish your green beans, please. And so the daughter replies, well, Dad, I'm too full. I'm, I'm full to the top, Dad. He says, you're not going to pop, right? He said that to your kids before. She says, yes, I will pop. And he says, well, I want you to risk it. It's going to be okay. Go ahead and eat. And she's like, Dad, I can't eat another bite. So Jim, like most of us parents, knew that there was dessert coming later. And she, he knew that fudge brownies was his daughter's favorite. So he asked this, and I've done this just yesterday. He asked, hey, uh, would you like some fudge brownies then instead? And she says, oh, yes, that's my favorite. That's definitely what I want. And he says, okay, then. You've still got room for the green beans uh, uh, and so uh, he says, if you eat your green beans, you can have a double helping of brownies and ice cream. Uh, if you can't eat that, how can you have room? If you can't eat five green beans, how can you have room for fudge brownies and ice cream? And she said, she stood up, she pushed her plate back, and she said, pointing to her belly, she said, this is my vegetable stomach, and this is my meat stomach, and this is my uh, dessert stomach, and these two are full, but this one I need to be filled. You know, our bellies are hungry for what we're craving. We desire what our bellies are hungry for, and we can be full of good things and still crave junk food. How many know that's true? We can be full of good things and still crave junk. Some of us can go eat and eat and eat at Texas Roadhouse and still want to stop at Dairy Queen on the way home because there's just something different. You know, you can fill up with the good stuff, but there's always going to be a little bit room for dessert. Somebody say amen, right? Uh, that, that's just sometimes how we are. We have our different stomachs, apparently, according to this six-year-old. And I uh, do this exercise quite often with my four- and seven-year-old, even this weekend, asking them uh, if they've eaten all their food or not, and then saying, hey, do you want dessert? Yes, okay, well, then you have to finish your supper. Clearly, you're still hungry. Uh, and the problem, I think, in, in my own life, as I look at this from a Christian standpoint, is that we are sometimes hungry for not always the good things. Our hunger is not always what is good for us. And sometimes we can take a certain amount of God in and think we're full. We can take in God and think we're satisfied, but then we'll find ourselves soon after craving still the junk food of this world. We still crave the things that do not satisfy, and our bellies are still hungry for the temporary, even though we've tried to partake of the eternal. But our Father in heaven knows best, and He has provided everything we need through Jesus, His Son, if we'll just keep eating to the full. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'm finding this in my own life, that I can, um, I can be full of the Bible. I'm a pastor after all, so I spend most of my, my evenings and weekends and, and sometimes here throughout the day when we're not doing pastor things. And 
study the Bible and we pray and, and we try to give charity and we, we do these things and you go home to try to be the best person in Christ you can be and you give your, fi your finances and your times and you know the Bible and you take in all of God you want but then at times in your life you find yourself still craving the affections of this flesh, still looking for things that are temporary and earthly and what I'm learning about myself, even in my late 30s, is that sometimes I'm not as full as I think I am. Just like that little six-year-old, she's not as full as she thinks she is. If she's still got room for a junk food, she must not be as full as she thinks she is. And isn't that true in our adult life? How full we think we are, we, we eat till we think we're okayly satisfied, but if I still have room for the affections and the desires of this flesh and of this world, if I'm still concerned with earthly things, how full am I really? How full am I really? You know, the Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 25 says, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite but the belly of the wicked suffers want. The righteous get satisfied on righteous things, but the wicked will always suffer want. And there's this word belly in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And in that verse, he says, the belly of the wicked suffers want. In the Hebrew, we can use that to mean stomach or abdomen or just this area from chest to, you know, the pelvis area. And it can mean womb, it can mean stomach, it can mean intestines. But in the spiritual sense, it always means this. It is that place in your life has the thinking and the feeling capacity. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have what, the understanding of medical that we did. So for them, when they write about the belly, they mean that place of you that hungers in the spiritual sense, in the emotional sense, that place of you that craves things. It craves belonging. It craves you know food and shelter and water. It craves respect. It craves love. It craves attention. It craves vacations. Hold on, somebody. It craves chocolate. You know, it craves things of itself, and it's that heart sometimes. We talk about the heart, but the belly uh, in, the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek can mean the heart. It's that empty place of flesh that is always desiring to be filled and satisfied. In fact, you can take the Greek word for belly, and it can mean this, your innermost being. It is the innermost being. It is that hollow part of the human nature, that empty, empty black hole that exists in all of us that is always craving, always longing for affection, always looking for something to fill the emptiness that's on the inside of us. Can't you look around the world and tell there's an empty hole inside of most of humanity that it's just, you just look at it and you say, there's something. We, we went to Alexandria uh, just this other day, and I, I walked, I, I was, we you know, sometimes you just people watch, right? And so I was watching this couple uh, go, go, we were uh, in an arena, there was a circus, and we, well, I was walk, watching this couple go down with their kid, and I could just look on this man's face. I don't know if he just didn't want to be there. <laughs> Maybe he had the kids running crazy, but there was something in his eyes. You could just tell. I just thought about it, and I even had a prayer in my mind for this man, that there was something empty, Something empty. And there's a, there's a hole and an emptiness in all of us, and it's from our fallen human nature. You know, this fleshly thing that we all house, it's like a beast. 
It's constantly warring against the spirit. It seeks to please itself and fill it with all sorts of evil thing. And it's pride. That's pride we're developing. We want status and fame. We want praise. We want affirmation. We want power. We want control. And the lust of this flesh and this belly, it always wants things like this. It always wants material gain. It wants physical comfort. It wants sexual pleasure. It wants the emotional highs of good time. And some people live from high to good time to high to good time to high of a good time again. Some go from relationship to relationship trying to fill this thing that never satisfies. And what we learn, it only fills for a moment. And that craving comes back. And often it comes back even stronger. In our desperate pursuit of things in this belly, we end up with shame, with regrets, broken relationships, and the consequences of all of our bad decisions because the belly of the wicked suffers want. Am I so full of Jesus that I'm not hungry for anything else? Are you so full of Jesus today that you could say, I'm not hungry for any dessert this world has to offer. At my house, I am the non-dessert person. My kids and my wife love dessert, and, and, and dessert is always available in our house, it seems. But I am a meat and potatoes kind of person. And if you take me to a good steakhouse, I'm fine with that. Just don't keep the, the, the cheesecake and the, and the ice cream and the fudge brownies and the molten lava thing. Keep that for yourself. Just bring me another steak and shrimp. Anybody with me? Come on, somebody. I, I want some steak and some... Uh, I'm not going to stop on food because, you know, you're going to get hungry here in a second. But, but there's things that satisfy, that are substance. And am I so full of Jesus that I don't need anyone or anything left? And my question for you today is how much room do you have in your belly? How much room do you have in that place in your soul that is always craving and always hungry, that wants material gain, that wants physical comfort, that wants relationship, that wants affirmation and praise, it wants to be liked, it wants to be in control? How much room do you have in that place for your heart? How much room is still left? And how many have some green beans still left on the table? You see, Jesus will transform that beast of a belly into a blessing. Look at it with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. If you're there, somebody say amen. Real quick, I'm going to tell you about the beast and the blessing. And the beast is this. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their what? is their belly, some might say stomach there, and of whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He says, I'm telling you weeping, there are people who are enemy of the cross, whose God is their belly, is their appetite. Their God is that fleshly whole, that innermost being that always wants to be filled, that always wants to be loved, that always wants to be in control, that always wants to have power, that always wants to have it figured out, that wants everybody to like them, that wants to go from relationship to relationship to greener pastures to greener pastures. It's never satisfied. You know that true? Some of you have been from relationship to relationship. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have been abandoned because there's someone just going from relationship to greener pasture to greener pasture from from high to high to high to thing to thing. And he says, theirs is a God who is their belly and their mind is set only on temporary things. Now you could think Paul is talking about, you know, wayward lost people. He's talking about worldly people. And there's two types of people he could be talking about. He could be talking about the lawless people 
lawless, totally absent from God, just going our own way. But he can also be talking about legalistic people. And actually, most people think that's what he's talking about in this passage. So look at this just real quick. There's lawless, but there's legalists. And sometimes us legalists, we like to hide our bellies. You see, the legalists at this time with Paul, they are merging Christianity. And they are saying, you owe for Jesus, but don't taste, don't touch, don't handle this. Get circumcised for your boys and make sure you do these things uh, on top of Jesus. You know, because you really need some help. You've got to do some stuff to help Jesus out in your life. You see, there's a problem with that is that the inner man of the lawless and the inner man of the legalist are the same. Both are ruled by the flesh and both have their thoughts gaining on things here and now. Both reject that Christ is powerful to do everything they need. The only difference is one is fooling himself with religion. What do I mean? You know, Paul said in Romans, he said, you know, guys, those who set their minds on the flesh and the things of the flesh... Uh, you'll never please God. He says, but if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, there is life and peace. But the mind of the flesh is death. It is hostile towards God. It can never please God, not even able to do so. So if you are doing your life by the flesh, by your own abilities, you're never going to please God. And, and a lawless person just lets their flesh go wild and they let the flesh rule their life. But a legalistic person a religious person, you know what they do? They make fleshly rules to try to rule their flesh. You see, both are just as bad. Both are just as bad. Nothing you and I could ever do could help ourselves, gain control of ourselves. That, that empty hole is far too big. That belly is far too big. Flesh can't control flesh. Paul's saying this, he says, you can't compartmentalize your Christianity. So for instance, you can ask, how is it possible that all the liberal Christians of the world think that they can go to church and say their Hail Marys and they can go make their alms, they can go to their services, but still think homosexuality and abortion are okay? They've compartmentalized their Christianity. How can you on one side say these things and make rules and then you have gaps in these rules that say this is okay? Well, I could go to the other side. How can conservative Christianity in Bible Belt America say and listen to the country music that my wife was showing me some of these songs that are out there right now that say I can drink and gamble and smoke on Saturday, go to church on Sunday, come on, you heard these songs, and think everything's okay. We can go and, and shack up with people and go do this and get drunk and then we can come to church and say we're Christian and tell the world on Facebook and put the fish bumper sticker on our car when we're flipping people off. And they compartmentalize their Christianity. Both are following the appetite of the belly. Both are being submissive to their flesh and their one is just open about it. But he says the legalist, whether it's conservative or liberal, they're just hiding it with religion. I'll get in there. We're going to keep preaching. It's okay. But see, you know, this isn't even far enough because I haven't hit everybody yet. You know, if all of our inner desires and thoughts would be exposed, we'd all be desperately ashamed right now. If I could tell you and if God would reveal everything I've ever thought, I've ever done, we'd all be desperately ashamed because there's not one person in this room who has not fallen short of the glory of God. Not one person here could stand apart and say, we've done better than anybody else. Here's, here's the catch, is that we have all, think this, 
How can I have more physical comfort? How can I have more physical pleasure? How can I have more security in my life? How can I have more power, more money? How can I have more control over my future and what happens to me? How can I gain more affirmation, more praise? How can I get more people to like my posts on social media? How come nobody liked that? That was a good thought. That was a good picture. That was a good cheese sandwich. Somebody should have liked that. How, how can I get more likes? How can I make my body better? How can I look better? How can I be more in shape? How can I make somebody like me and say something about my nice outfit I had on today? How can I be seen successful in the eyes of others? How can I earn their respect and their love? How can I find a temporary escape from my life using temporary things? See, that's the belly. What can I do to make myself better or feel better? What can I do to make other people like me and want me? What can I do to have more power and control? We had all these things exposed, we would all be desperately ashamed. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in that garden, they had all their things exposed. And what did they do? They had bowed down to the God of the belly. And let me just listen with me for a moment. That old snake, the serpent, the devil comes to them and tells them they should doubt God's provision and promises that God has supplied all their needs. And he says, if you'll just go for the craving of the appetite of the flesh, if she says it looks desiring to the eyes, it looks like it's a delight, it's a taste, it's surely got to be a better dessert than what's on my plate, what God has given me. I still have room for something for me. There's got to be something more for me to have a better feeling, a better sensation, a better want, better longing. I can be like God and I can have power, I can have love, I can have respect. I can have eternal things for me. I can do something for me. And they take and they eat, and immediately their belly is exposed. Man, they see good and evil. Their appetite is there, and they realize they are desperately ashamed. Everything is open and bare before God. Now we see the real nature on the inside of sin, and it is inside of you. Man, there is now a gaping hole in your soul. They bow down to the God of the belly. What did God say to the serpent? Cursed of you, above all the cattle and creepy things, you will crawl on your belly. They bowed down to a God, Satan, the God of this age, of this earth, who is moving under the direction of the belly. That belly takes sin where it wants to go. That belly is the driving force of sin. And every time that we fall down, pray to our belly, we're just bowing down to sin. We're letting that belly rule our life. That belly is setting the direction and the course of where we're wanting to go. And what did they do? And they didn't come out and just say, Lord, here I am. I'm open. I'm ashamed. Would you do something that only you can do? What they do, they put on a fig leaf religion. And I told you in the Greek, the belly is this area. It's the whole thing the whole middle section. They covered it up with a fig leaf. They put on religion on top of their belly because they couldn't solve the issue that was really at hand. They had bowed down to the God of the belly. They'd let their belly rule their eyes and their heart. Now it's like, will he ever love me? Does God like me? How can I work more to have more provision? God's not providing my needs, so now I'm all alone. Is God gonna hit me over the head with a hammer? How come we have problems in our marriage and I need more money, I need more peace? Why is my body decaying and I need some help? God, would you just do some? Maybe I'll take more pills. Maybe I'll have another party just to get my mind 
mind off of it. Maybe I just need a better job or a better relationship. Maybe I just need to take another load off. I just need a vacation. And they begin to try to hide it all. And they say, well, let's just put some religion on top of it. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll give some money. I'll sing some songs. I will start looking the part. But the belly is still ruling your life. God had a plan. When all of our souls been feeding on all kinds of earthly things, dwelling on earthly things, when we've been justifying ourselves by our own self-effort, yet secretly we're still controlled by our appetites. That's why in America they say the statistics for pornography among men are the same in the church and out of the church. It's because we're still controlled by our appetites. Why divorce is affecting the church like it's affecting the world, because we're still controlled by our appetites. We're secretly still trying to fill an inner need with a fig leaf religion. It'll never be filled. But there was a blessing that was coming. A blessing. You see, we had spent all of our money and effort on things that did not satisfy. And Isaiah 55 says, If you were just thirsty and come, you could drink of these waters. It was in the first century on the Jewish Feast of Festivals, a Feast of Tabernacles, excuse me, Feast of Booths. And at this feast, in John chapter 7, they had gathered together. And what they would do is reenact this prophecy. They'd added this in the tradition. They'd reenact the prophecy of Isaiah 55 when those who were thirsty would come in this fig leaf religion they had put on still following their belly, but they put this fig leaf religion. And they would have a priest go down to the pool of Siloam and take a golden bucket of water, dip it, take it back to the temple and pour it into the basin behind the altar. And they would pour out and flow out. And it was to symbolize that the Holy Spirit would come with the Messiah. It was to symbolize how God had provided rivers of living water in the desert with Moses. And there's a commentary that says that you had never seen rejoicing until you had seen that procession from the waters coming out, from the waters that God had provided under the temple, coming out flowing in the place where the priests would, uh, would spill it out. They said you had never heard rejoicing, you never just heard trumpets, you never heard the fanfare. And in the middle of that event... When God knew from heaven, he said they'd covered up this belly with a fig leaf religion. They are thirsty for something that they can never fill themselves. Jesus, the Bible says, stands up in the middle of that event, in the middle of the rejoicing, in the middle of that pouring out of water. And he says this, John 7, 37, now on the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood and he cried out and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his belly, from his belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was about to take your beast of a belly into a blessing. I, I never saw that until this last week as I was praying over this message that it's that belly. That belly is the place that Jesus chose to pour out his Holy Spirit abundance. Come on, somebody. It's that place of absence and emptiness, and it's that dark void in the middle of all of us. He didn't say, I'm going to pour out your spirit on your head or on your feet or on your hands. He said, I'm going to pour it out in that hole that is gaping 
seeping on the inside of you that is always take, 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 and me, 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 and I'm going to pour so much Holy Spirit into the depths of your soul that it's going to keep flowing and keep flowing and keep flowing. You're not going to crave the things you used to crave anymore. You're not going to want to do the things you used to do anymore. You were a take, 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 me, 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 and that beast was ruling your life. Now you're about to be a blessing. You're about to be a blessing. It's not going to be about you and your life and your story. You're going to have so much pouring out of your life from that empty hole. It's going to be a spring bubbling up all well within my soul. It's going to keep on bubbling and bubbling. And now I'm going to be thinking about how's she doing and how's he doing and how can I bless that person and how can I pray for that person and how can I give to this need? How can I sacrifice my time for their wants and how can I encourage that person? How can I pray for that person? How can I lift and exhort that person to do what God God's called them to do because there's something on the inside bubbling up. Man, that beast has become a blessing. God was about to give us the best food our soul could ever experience. He's about to take your belly. Jesus said, if you're drinking of this natural water, of this natural life, you're going to be thirsty. But if you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll never thirst. They'll become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life. And our physical desires would be satisfied by the spiritual supply of Jesus Christ. You've got to give up that figure leaf religion. Going to church ain't going to do it. Reading your Bible is great, but it ain't going to do it. Praying's great. Pharisees prayed. They ain't going to do it. It's giving up that want to do it yourself, to meet your own needs and desires and come and trust in who Jesus says he is. He says, if you will come to me and drink from me, I will give you something you can't get yourself. We should be so satisfied then with knowing Jesus that our satisfaction flows unto others. I was thinking about that so much this week. Man, I did not have a good week this week. It's one of those weeks where everything's against you in your mind. You're irritated about everything. The remote don't work. You just want to throw the remote across the room. You know, it's one of those weeks, right? Come on. We're alive here. And I thought, Heath, are you so satisfied in Jesus that he's just overflowing, 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 overflowing? Is, the, is there a want for life to be better because life's not always going to be better. Sometimes it gets worse. But Jesus gets better. Come on. He gets better. I don't care what the desert you're in. There's an overflow on the inside. It's going to make everything come alive again. You can go through the worst place in your life in the most barren wilderness. But if you've got a well springing up to eternal life, it's not just going to feed you. It's going to feed everybody around you. That when you walk into a room, it's like, man, I'm so glad that person's here because this room was down before. But now when this person walked in, there's some joy in the room. Man, there's some life in the room. There's some happiness in the room when that person walks in the room because they have a well bubbling up with their soul. Their appetite is not all on themselves. It's feeding the world with the abundant supply that's springing up within. Am I so satisfied in Jesus? I've got no room for dessert. No room for dessert of this world. And I thought about that procession. How can people with a fig leaf religion have the greatest 
procession of worship that people in the ancient world said, you had, you had not seen worship. You had not seen celebration till you saw them talk about how that water was coming from this pool and getting put in that bucket over there. And then I think about church. That was all fig leaf stuff. We got the real deal. We got the real deal. And how can I not be so excited, satisfied, joyful that my life has been saved by grace, that I have received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And he says this, if you would just come to me, those who are thirsty, that means this, that I have to have a strong desire for more than this life can offer. I have to have a strong desire, thirst, that that belly is thirsty, but I'm saying, belly, I know what the solution is. He says, what? Come. Come to Jesus. Set my heart, my mind on him. Leave that fig leaf behind. Come to God for the solution of my supply. And he says, now drink. That means to believe that Jesus is the one that I come through, that he is the only way to the Father, that he is the access of the Holy Spirit, and it's not getting a religious routine down it is coming simply by faith and saying Jesus I trust in your supply it's a spiritual thing you're not going to get full on natural things coming to the altar call is natural touching God in the spirit is spiritual are you with me praying more is is physical touching God when you pray is spiritual it comes there's 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 natural things we can do but there must be a spiritual supply and I can't make it happen for you and I can't do anything to sing enough songs and preach the right messages. It's got to come by faith that you say, I believe that the word of God is true. And that when I come to God and repent of my sins and ask for the Holy Spirit, I'm going to wait right here until something spiritual happens in my life. Something spiritual starts bubbling up within. And if I get to a time in my life, like this week, and I find... I've been eating a lot of dessert. I've been thinking a lot of me thoughts. I've been thinking about, why this God? Why that God? If I just had a vacation, if this person wouldn't act this way, if I could just have this different in my life. You know, that's all the belly talking. I could get down on my knees and just say, God, what I need is just you. All I need is just you. I want a vacation, but God, that's not what I need. I need healing in my body, but Lord, it's not just that. I need you. Maybe I need this to work out in my job or this to work out in my family. All that may be true, but the solution is not getting the belly to figure it out. It is saying, Jesus, I hunger and I thirst for you. I don't want the dessert of this world. God, I have more room. Maybe today that's you. Maybe today you're realizing you are not as full as you thought you were. I'm in that boat. If I find myself in that place, I've realized I, I'm not, I, maybe I have more room for those green beans. Maybe, maybe there's some room still left. I need, God, I need, I'm craving something more. And I know that's not what I should be craving. God, I need to crave more of you. Would you stand with me all across this room? Worship team, would you come? Maybe we're not as full as we think we are. You got to keep eating and drinking, not only till you're satisfied, but till you're overflowing as a blessing. Are you overflowing as a blessing? Maybe there is room yet in my heart for more of Jesus. Maybe there is room yet 
in my spirit for more of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, right now is your opportunity to just say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Would you come into my heart? I surrender that you'd be Lord of my life. I give control. I, I Lord, I give my thoughts to you, my plans to you. I give my past, my present, and my future. I totally surrender to you, Jesus. And I believe that you died on the cross, that you are who you say you are, that you provide all my needs. And I totally, completely surrender. And I'm not going to be perfect, but Lord, I know that you are the perfection for me. And God, you accept me in my imperfection and you save me in way but Lord I live by faith every day you are the supply you are the supply if you believe that I'm gonna invite you just to begin to pray all across this room if you're a believer we just begin to tell Jesus he's the supply you need it's not